Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a fare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. 
And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved, mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um, erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and Pira support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. So this is the first in my IG live series for Endometriosis Awareness Month. And I get a lot of great feedback from you guys when I share my IG lives on the podcast. So I'm doing it again. And each week is themed on a different area of healing with endo and kind of the factors that influence endo development and symptom progression. And this week we're talking about inflammation and the immune system because really that's at the core of endo. And these IG lives revolve around your questions. So if you want to submit one, follow me on Instagram at the endo belly coach, and then just send me a question when you see my stories calling for submissions. So each week I will put a story out and say, you know, this week is our IG live on, you know, whatever it may be, hormones and blood sugar, submit your questions. So this week I'm answering, how can I make the elimination diet easier when socializing or eating out with others? How much freeze-dried nettle is effective for mast cell activation syndrome? How much magnesium is helpful for endo and which type? How much omega-3 fatty acids should we use for endo? What are macrophages and what role do they play in endo? And what role do prostaglandins play on endometriosis pain and development? Now, when I recorded the episode, well, when I recorded the live, people did report that there was a strange kind of whirring sound in the background. I tried to do what I could about that. I had no idea what it was. 
I kind of turned off everything in the house that I could. Um, so we've tried to clean that up. Sorry if it is bothersome. I hope it's not. Um, but yeah, that might be something you hear. Anyway, let's get to the show. This week is all about endometriosis, inflammation and the immune system. They're kind of one and the same. You know, inflammation is coming from the immune system. Um, so the first question is from Katie. And Katie was saying that she's struggling with the elimination diet. And did I have any tips? And I spoke to Katie and asked for a bit of um, more context. And what she was saying is that she's finding it easier now. But the biggest problem was how to eat with her husband um, when she's having to eat so different from him. And also, how does she manage eating out um, and having social activities? Um, so what I would say is I'm kind of trying to make this generic so it's applicable for everyone. Um, but... Katie, I know you've started, but when I'm working with my clients and in our training, we're always taught to plan ahead with thinking about what's happening in my social life, in my life that might interfere with the elimination diet is now really a good time. Um, so, you know, when I did my endometriosis, uh, endometriosis, when I did my SIBO diet and when I did my SIBO treatment, I planned that out. Um, and I would recommend not starting an elimination diet when you do have a lot of social activities going on, like weddings or birthdays. Um, you only really need to do an elimination diet for 21 to 28 days. Um, the reason why we do that is because it um, actually gives the body uh, time to reduce the levels of IgA, which is one of the immune responses to irritating foods, foods that we are sensitive to, um, not the same as like an allergy, like a nut allergy. Um, so the kind of acute period of doing an elimination diet should really only be four weeks. And then you've got the reintroduction phase, which can take long, much longer, depending on how many foods you've eliminated. Now, for those of you who are like, well, what, what the hell's an elimination diet? Um, an elimination diet is the gold standard for investigating uh, food sensitivities or intolerances. Uh, we do not have blood tests or any form of tests that is sufficient enough and are reliable enough to test for allergy uh, for sensitivities and intolerances for allergies we do right so if you have a nut allergy um serious nut allergy of course that's going to show up it's that, that's different um that's ige mediated it's a different immune response um so you can test you there are tests out there but they're not super super reliable and if you've got an irritated gut um then you may show up as being reactive to a lot more things than you actually are. So a um, elimination diet is when we eliminate the most common um, irritants, so the most common allergens, dairy, um, gluten, 
sometimes egg, sometimes soy. Um, and also we remove the kind of inflammatory foods like sugar, alcohol, trans fats, processed foods. So we're calming everything down. So we're calming the inflammation down in the gut and in the body. We're giving it a chance to repair. And we're also removing certain um, allergens like dairy, like soy, like gluten to give our body a chance to recover. And then we reintroduce them one by one to see whether we've had a reaction. Now, there is a method to do that, which is typically you reintroduce a food for four days in a row and then you remove it again for three days to watch for delayed reactions. Because with inflammation and with um, food sensitivities and intolerances, the reaction isn't always immediate. So it's not like an allergy where the reaction is typically immediate. It can be delayed. So you might suddenly get eczema a couple of days later, for example, um, or rosacea flare up a couple of days later. So um, we will do that. And as a result, that can take quite a long time because, for example, we're not testing all dairy all in one go. We're testing sheep's dairy, goat's dairy, cow's dairy. Um, So that can take quite a long time. So you don't want to obviously like not see your friends or your family, but um, at least for that first four weeks, I would make sure that your closest are on board and understand what you're doing and why it's important. Um, Understand why you need to not have quote unquote cheat days. I don't really like that word, but I can't really think of another one right now because the point of this protocol is that we reduce those IgA um, reactions so that everything calms down. And when we reintroduce, we can genuinely see what the body is reacting to. If you are still eating a bit of sugar here and there, one night you get, you know, you go to a wedding, you end up getting really hammered, the body is going to be irritated. If you have some gluten, um, the body is still going to be reacting. We want everything to be calm so that when we drop a stone into the pond, we know that that ripple is coming from that stone, right? But if you still got old ripples happening, we don't, we can't like see the ripples clearly coming from that stone. Does that make sense? So that's why we need that period of time where we aren't, kind of bringing in those irritants. Um, So Katie, I know you're like, how do I explain it to my friends who don't get it? This This is the key, that if you're going to bring those foods in midway through at someone's wedding, because, you know, they made you feel like you were not one of the gang, you might as well start again. You don't put yourself through it. Don't put yourself through the elimination diet which is tough, right? Um, If you're going to have to interrupt it. Um, Now I've had, sometimes things happen, you know, if it's just a bite of someone's cake, look, let's not worry about it. But if if it's more substantial than that, then I think we, you need to consider whether this is the time to do it. Um, Now the elimination diet isn't always necessary. It's like kind of, 
um, I've got like a black thermal top on that keeps like sliding out from under my sleeve. Um, try and tuck it back in. Really, the main thing is that we want to do in the beginning is add in. We want to add in lots of nutrient dense foods that are going to replenish your body, give you the nutrients that you need to fight endo, calm the inflammatory reaction. If you're still struggling with what feels like food reactions and inflammation, um, maybe you've got some supplements in there supporting you. And say you really want to actively work on um, healing your gut, you feel like you're very reactive, you still feel very fatigued, you've got a lot of symptoms, then we can look at the elimination diet. But it's certainly not something that I do with all of my clients. In an ideal world, it would be something that I do with all my clients so that we could rule these issues out. But um, not everyone's up for it. And I completely get it. Um, I know, Katie, you were saying it was hard in the beginning. And I think that it's about bringing in those foods first. Like I said, add in lots of nutrient-dense foods, get to understand what healthy eating, enjoyable healthy eating looks like for you. If you eat a lot of processed foods or you buy a lot of things, you know, ready-made, start practicing with recipes first, get used to creating homemade foods, get used to making fake ways, like fun, fun foods at the weekend. Um, if you are going to be being a bit more social, call ahead at restaurants, like practice eating out before you're on this strict elimination diet, like what's it like to eat out? What's the experience? Kind of prepare yourself mentally and physically for the change. Um, some people, I wouldn't advise going completely cold turkey. So if you drink a lot of caffeine, if you eat a lot of sugar, if you eat a lot of processed foods, um, then I would actually kind of... Um, I'm trying to think of the word here, uh, reduce them uh, step by step. So start cutting your caffeine down slowly. Go from full calf, like if you're making a coffee, for example, and you're using it pre-ground, you know, if you use one tablespoon, do three quarters of a tablespoon caffeinated, one quarter of a tablespoon decaf for a week, and then move on to half-half and so on. Um, start slowly reducing your sugar intake because otherwise when you do that four weeks, it's going to be so much harder because you're going to be doing, you're going to be experiencing so many more withdrawal symptoms. Um, so I do think that that is, this is what I work with with my clients, like just kind of getting them off the things that are going to cause them the most like cravings and the, the hardest come downs. Um, so kind of prepping yourself in that way. And then once that kind of acute four weeks are over, I would try to guard your time, have people round, you know, they can bring food and you can also have some healthy, healthy snacks. Um, go to, there are a lot of like healthy gluten-free restaurants and just kind of, there's just a lot of health cafes and healthy coffee shops and things like that. And smoothie bars that, you know, you can spend a month seeing people in those kind of environments, like going for a yoga session together, kind of see, I always say this to my clients, especially if they're doing something like the elemental diet for SIBO, see it as a, um, as like a spa retreat. If you went to like a all-inclusive, like 
really intensive like celebrity four-week spa they might put that person on some kind of dietary protocol see it as a way of nourishing your body for four weeks and lean into that environment with like going to yoga sessions with your with your friends or if you can't afford to do that do it online um have people around to do yoga together or go to med like online meditation classes whatever some people aren't into that that's fine I'm just kind of you know freestyling but think about things that are going to feel nourishing to you is it having lots of baths um or going on walks with your friends things that are helping you to do this in a more sustainable way that feels like I'm doing this to look after my body versus I'm doing this to punish myself. I'm doing this because I have endo and I've got to do this thing that sucks and we're all out and everyone's drinking and I can't, you know, try to do things where you don't feel like the odd one out. You and your friends are having a girls weekend that feels good. You know, those that that feels healthy rather than it's a girls weekend getting trashed. Does that make sense? Um, and Katie, I mean, it sounds like you've already done a lot of work with your husband, but like you said, you know, your husband will have burger and chips, you're having the beef patty um, and homemade sweet potato fries. You can make a nice little salsa to go on top of that, like a healthy salsa. You can make a healthy dressing, you know, you can make dressings with things like tahini and olive oil and garlic. Um, what I would also say is some... Um, elimination diets include removing things like grains, beans, um, eggs, sometimes certain seafood. You don't always have to go that hardcore. Um, you know, I would really, if you're, if you're removing something like grains and beans, it's not really because you're intolerant to them. It's more that you're trying to calm the gut down. And I would start, if you're feeling apprehensive, um, I would really start with removing those common inflammatories. I would see something like removing beans as a more advanced protocol. Um, I really, we're just trying to eat an anti-inflammatory diet at this point in time. Um, so that's, again, I would hope that would make it easier for you because if you're eating out and you're going and somewhere and they're like, well, I can't eat beans. I can't eat seafood. You know, I'm. I can't eat eggs. Um, it's gonna get. It's gonna get trickier if you're if you're limiting like histamine foods as well because there are lots of different types of elimination diets as well. You know, you can include histamine foods in there, and there are some endometriosis protocols that do include that. But I don't do that straight away because it's really fucking tough, um, and I don't think it's always necessary. Uh, especially if you haven't done one of these things before. Um, so then when you go into the time frame where you're reintroducing, then you're able to be a little bit more flexible with, uh, you know, going out more. Um, you could go to a frozen yogurt place, right, the, the week that you're eating dairy. So you can start to do a little bit. You can start to do a bit more. But I think it is about getting creative with your social activities, trying to get your friends to understand that actually, yeah, maybe you think I'm boring right now, but this is going to enable me to be more well with you guys. It's going to enable me to go on the holidays with you, to go out more with you, to not cancel on you last minute, because actually what I do now is going to set me up for future health. And I think that's what is 
so important for people to remember that this is a short-term thing for long-time wellness, um, understanding what is irritating your body and making your inflammation worse. Um, so I hope that helps, Katie. Um, I do have, like, in my courses and, and masterclasses, if you guys want to learn more, I do have, like, a comp comprehensive elimination diet in there and actually a whole lesson on how to implement it um, more easily and kind of considering all of these social things. But obviously, this is alive and I've got lots of questions to ask, um, to answer. So then I had, Lucy, if you save that question for one of my future Q&As, because I've got um, quite a lot of questions that were already submitted. Um, let me just kind of remember what you said. If you were simply, what top three things would you recommend to reduce inflammation in the body? If I've got time at the end of this, I will answer. If not, um, I will answer at the start of the next one, which is on Monday. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Uh, the next question was, what dose of omega-3 uh, should I be taking? The therapeutic dose is 1,000 to 3,000 milligrams. I know that um, you were saying algae form. Um, it is quite hard to get that dose um, from algae. Um, I've not yet found, I've tried, I've not yet found a supplement that offers that dose i think i found like 1200 being the highest um bare biology in the uk do a 3000 milligram one um it's an oil it is a little bit fishy um it's flavored with lemon extract i think so that helps but um i found it a bit fishy some some of my clients don't notice it at all um so you know if you can at least get over a thousand that's going to be helpful um there was also a question of how much freeze-dried nettle should uh, you take for um, MCAS. Now, from my knowledge, there isn't studies on freeze-dried nettle for MCAS in particular, but there is studies on freeze-dried nettle for allergic rhinitis and allergy symptoms, which are, of course, uh, you know, essentially the result of MCAS. And um, MCAS is a condition of mast cells, which release histamines and other inflammatory cells, being overactive and oversensitive. And the good thing about freeze-dried nettles is they stabilise mast cells. So even though we don't have studies on MCAS, uh, freeze-dried nettles on MCAS, we can assume that it's going to be helpful, especially if you combine it with um, quercetin and... Um, rutin, vitamin C, those are all great for um, histamine issues. So there are quite a few studies, but one of the most effective, um, one of the most uh, interesting studies, positive studies was 600 milligrams a day. 
Um, you can, some practitioners do go a bit higher, like 900 milligrams, 1,000 milligrams. Um, divided doses is probably more helpful because you're kind of getting that hit throughout the day. Um, I'm not sure if this study was all in one go or divided doses, but typically we do divided doses. Um, and it's kind of hard. Don't always find it at that level. You might find 300 milligrams, so you could do that twice a day. Um for MCAS, I've really found quercetin to be super, super effective for me. Um, I keep having people walk past. It's really awkward. Um, definitely, you could combine it with net freeze-dried nettle. I didn't find freeze-dried nettle on its own the biggest needle mover for me, but when I combined it with quercetin, I found those two to be very helpful. Um the other question was, how much magnesium to take for adenomyosis and endometriosis? I don't think we've got studies on magnesium for adenomyosis. I could be wrong. Um, however, there are lots and lots of studies on magnesium for dysmenorrhea, primary and secondary dysmenorrhea, um, and endo. And so it, the dose and what the type of magnesium depends on what you're wanting it for. If you are someone with endo, endo who suffers with constipation, and I know a lot of you do, then you would be wanting to use magnesium oxide or citrate. So um, those would uh, help you. They won't be absorbed by the body. They end up in the colon and they will draw water into the colon to help create bowel movement. So the dose for that is 500 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams. Always start at the lowest dose and build up because you don't want to have diarrhea um, and you might not need the upper dose. 1,000 tends to be the sweet spot, um, but really, really, I cannot emphasize enough, start at the lower dose. Um, give it a couple of days because it takes a while to get going. Um, so... Don't just do 500 milligrams one night, 1,000 milligrams the next. Give it, you know, three or four days to see whether it's helping you. Um, if you are using it for pain, um, then you can use magnesium glycinate or magnesium alpheronate. Um, magnesium alpheronate is, is also especially helpful for anxiety, um, but these magnesium forms are better absorbed. And that's going to be really helpful for things like lower and prostaglandin E2. So magnesium has been shown to significantly reduce that. Um, it's also been shown to be really effective in alleviating period pain, um, helping to clear estrogen, um, helping to support progesterone production, energy. There, like this, magnesium is so helpful on so many levels. Um, Really, we want to use between 150 milligrams to 450 milligrams a day. Um, if you are struggling with a lot of pain or a lot of PMS, you're probably going to find that the upper dose is more effective for you. Um, if you are not great at taking capsules for any reason, you can take it in liquid form, but it does not taste good. I'm doing it at the moment and it tastes so fishy. 
that I was at the point where I was going to vomit afterwards. So now I hold my nose um, so I can't taste it. And then I like, whilst I'm holding my nose, rinse my mouth out because it tastes so bad. You can also do magnesium baths. Um, so 500 to 600 grams of Epsom salt um, in a bath two to three times a week for 20 minutes will actually help to, re- well, not just help, but will actually reverse magnesium deficiency most of us are magnesium deficient. So um, it's a great way to get your magnesium levels up. And then um, I also had a question come in. Uh, the role of macrophages in endometriosis and studies. So this is going to go up as a podcast episode. So I'll put the studies in the um, show notes. Um, so I'm really fidgeting because I'm like in this window and I'm very uncomfortable. Um, so I'll put the studies in there, the research that's um, in there. It's out on Monday, so you can just grab it. Um, so macrophages are immune cells that are kind of like the first respondents to an injury in the body or a threat in the body. Um, And they have a couple of different roles. One of the roles is that they eat up um, bacteria or any threats like endometriosis. Um, They also alert other immune cells that there's a problem to come to to the site and they initiate, they trigger this this inflammatory immune response. Now, with endometriosis, um, they are more problematic than they are helpful. Um, We have excessive numbers of macrophages in the pelvic cavity. They're in higher concentrations. They are more activated. um, And so they're creating more of these inflammatory cells. um, And they're not actually eating up the endo. Um, They're not helping us to clear the endo they're actually helping the endo to secure in the pelvis um so they are actually encouraging the blood vessels to form and supply uh, and supply blood and oxygen um to the endo lesions so they're actually worsening the problem um i've got some notes here to give you guys if there's anything i've missed on that um, they're increasing the inflammatory cytokines, which are going to cause us more of the internal scarring, more of the pain. Um, and they also produce prostaglandin E2, which is the follow-up question to this question. So I'm going to answer that question in a minute, but I want to make sure that I've given you all of the information. Um Yeah, so I mean, you know, they're they're causing other cells to come to the scene, and these cells are encouraging proliferation, which is the um, the cells multiplying. But this person also had a follow up question of, sorry, I can't remember your handle off the top of my head. That's why I'm I'm trying. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember your handle, but you know who you are. Um, Prostaglandin E2 is one of the key drivers, if not the key driver, um, of pain um, and inflammation and endometriosis. There are so many immune cells involved in endometriosis. And like I said in my post um, earlier in the week, 
not many of them are working how they should. They're actually kind of doing the opposite of what they should be doing or they're not doing their job properly. And as a result, we have this messed up scenario where it's not an autoimmune disease in a sense where, you know, with your thyroid, for example, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, your body is attacking your thyroid, right? Your antibody, the antibodies are attacking your thyroid and destroying your thyroid. It's not that the body is attacking, you know, the pelvic cavity and, and destroying and eating it up. It's these immune cells are actually involved in the growth of endometriosis. They're actually kind of dysfunctional and as a result, encouraging the growth of it. Um, it's really, really interesting and messed up. Um, but prostaglandin E2 is largely produced from the macrophages. Um, prostaglandin E2 is um, involved in the um, production of estrogen. So we know we have excessive levels of estrogen um, in the endometrial endometriosis cells and what's happening is prostaglandin E2 produces aromatase and aromatase is an enzyme that um, transforms testosterone to estrogen and so the key way that we're having excess levels of estrogen in the pelvic cavity and in the endometriosis lesions is through having excess levels of aromatase in that area so the endometriosis cells are constantly able to make estrogen. And that estrogen is helping the proliferation of endometriosis. It's helping the cells. If you think about estrogen, what does it do in the endome in the lining of the uterus? It helps it to grow. It cushions it. It helps the cells to multiply. And so um, it's doing the same with endometriosis. So that's one of the things that um, prostaglandin E2 is doing. Um, it also helps to, um, oh, actually, that's probably something that I should explain to you guys. Um, prostaglandin E2 is not like a bad guy. Um, prostaglandin E2 is used by the body for necessary um, processes. It's involved in um, ovulation, it's involved in menstruation, and what it does is it helps the cramping and it helps the blood flow in menstruation and with um with ovulation it, it's helping to kind of create the force that erupts the egg from um the the ovary um i mean there's there's a lot more that goes into the process of ovulation but that's part of what it does and and um part of the, the different things that are happening. There's also an elevation in estrogen and elevation in testosterone. And um, But when we have too much, that's when we have pain and excessive bleeding. And they've done research into both endometriosis and heavy menstrual bleeding and um, painful periods. And there are excessive levels of prostaglandins, uh, prostaglandin E2, in the pelvic cavity and in the menstrual blood of these uh, people in the studies. And so we know um, prostaglandin E2 is, an infl is inflammatory and inflammation creates what? Swelling, pain, heat. So when we have too much, it's excessive. So 
we are having these symptoms as a result of having too high levels of prostaglandin E2. So that's why prostaglandin E2 is so pain, is, is causing so much pain with endometriosis. Um, but it also um, inhibits endometriosis cell death. So all of your cells should have a natural death cycle. Um, endometriosis cells evade death. <laughs> They're like, you know, everlasting. Um, and the prostaglandin E2 kind of helps to inhibit that death process. Um, it's also encouraging proliferation. So the multiplication of the cells um, through upregulating um, certain growth factors. Um, it also helps to promote the blood supply, just like the macrophages, um, through upregulating another growth factor. Um, so there are, you can already see that, you know, one part of the immune system is involved in triggering another part of the immune system that triggers, you know, the supply of blood vessels. There are so many kind of, um, cascade effects from, you know, high levels of macrophages. Oh, they're producing too many uh, prostaglandin E2. It's this kind of waterfall cascade effect. And there are so many, um, there are so many interactions, you know, um, that are creating this perfect storm. It's not just one thing. It's not like these macrophages are to blame or prostaglandin E2 is to blame or um, natural killer cells are to blame. There are so many different cells involved in this, and most of them aren't working very well. Um, there are mast cells involved, producing lots of histamine. Um, so have a read, if you haven't read it already, of the, I did a little Jane Austen meme, a little Pride and Prejudice meme um, earlier in the week. So have a look at that. And then I do need to wrap up now because it's two. Um, oh, Lucy, I'm going to elaborate on this in my next call and my next live, but oh, there are so many things that influence inflammation. But if I was to say to start simply, I would say um, anti-inflammatory nutrition, um, full of antioxidants, blood sugar regulation, because that significantly affects inflammation. And then... and then calming down the gut. Now, the gut is really tricky. Actually, no. If I was going to start very simply, I would say nutrition, blood sugar for everyone, simple or not, complex or not, like those places are absolutely crucial to start. And so is this one, actually. And then what I would say is sleep because if lack of sleep increases inflammation and it's going to be harder for you to improve everything else and improve your gut and work on your gut if you're not sleeping properly. Um, and yes, other things affect sleep and the gut can affect sleep, but the gut takes a long, well, it can take a long time to heal, especially if you've got something like SIBO and your body needs to be rested to deal with that. So that's where I would start. Um, but if you want to ask that question again for the next one, I will dive into it a bit more. All right, guys, I hope that it's still not, um, <laughs> yeah, Lucy, <laughs> we do need to calm your gut. Um, 
hopefully it's not frozen anymore. Um, I hope that was a helpful uh, live. We're going to do one a week till the end of March. Um, and they're going to be different themes every week, um, kind of crucial themes um, for managing endo. That's why we started with anti-inflammatory kind of nutrition today and talking about the immune system. Um, sorry, I'm a bit all over the place because of the on the back of this call which was like a lot of information and it went on for longer than I expected um oh there was a question actually um about how I was getting on with MCAS and POTS um I'm not quite ready to talk about it yet you were saying that you hoped I would do an episode on what's helped um I'm still very much in the early days like I said I've just seen the endocrinologist who is looking into Addison's and is also doing some testing for me for MCAS. Um, I got to get the money together to get those tests. I'm looking at, you know, a lot of money for those. So it's a really slow process for me. Um, and it's not really something that I can get sorted on that NHS because they've kind of ignored this for so long. So I've had to go private and the insurance won't cover it. So this is a really, it's going to be a long process. Um, and... I just don't think it's going to be that helpful for me to talk about it yet when I don't have all of the information that I need. And I'm not really at the point where I have a management system. I'm still really doing a lot of investigation. So when I am at that point where I feel like it's well managed and I can talk about that, then then I will. All right, guys, it was lovely to see you all. Um, sorry about the, the buzzing. Hopefully in the new place, it won't be like that. Uh, thank you, Maggie. Um, yeah, I'm going to post this um, both on my feed and on my podcast. Um, and yeah, take care. Hope you guys have a lovely weekend. Bye, everyone. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 